All right, well, good morning. If you're in Kidmo, I'm going to go ahead and let you go. And if you are a guest and you have a second through fifth grader, Kidmo is an environment for them to go and have their own teaching, small groups, some games, have fun. And uh, you're welcome to go walk back with them and see where they're headed. But we would love for them to take part in that as well. Uh, I want to talk about this video in just a minute because I, I really think this is, this is the, the most inspiring video of all the Olympics. And uh, not the video, but the, the person who the video was a focus of. And so I want to come back to that. But before I do, I do want to remind you to sign up for small groups. And also next week, we're going to be having our, we're, it's a block party, our back to school kickoff. We're going to have blow up water slides. Uh, we're going to have snow cones, food, all kinds of stuff. What's different this year from last or previous years, it starts at five instead of being right after church uh, on Sunday. So uh, we want to want to do it a little bit later in the day. Let some people come that maybe don't attend church here, but also hopefully be a little bit cooler whenever we have that. That's next week at five. You can sign up to help bring some food for what we'll eat dinner. We're inviting uh, Red Bank Elementary School to come be with us. So we hope that they will. We're going to have a good time. We've got slides for all age groups. Uh, even some of you adults, if you want to bring your swimsuit and slides, you can do that as well. So that is um, that is next weekend. Yeah, Herman will be there. So uh, he'll be sliding. Um, no Speedos, full, you know, full board shorts, no Speedos. But uh, anyways, we'd love for you to come and be with us for that. Uh, the reason I think that this video is so inspiring is because here is a young woman who has, she's really not, she's a girl. She's a young girl who has been forced from her home and in a boat, she was trying to get away from war-torn Syria. And in the process of crossing the sea, their boat begins to sink. And at that moment, she had a choice to make. And so she and her sister jumped in. As I said, she began to push the boat and push for three hours before their dinghy holding 20 people finally reached the shore of Greece. And that was just one leg of their journey. And along the way, you see in each leg that her friends were videoing, a smile on her face, joy in her life, even though, as she said at the end, she has lost much. And so the reason I wanted to share this with you is because this very much goes along, not just with the Olympics. This is very much the life of a follower of Jesus and the way that we live and the way that we walk. And so we're going to be looking today at Philippians chapter 3. Um, if you want to, to turn there, uh, I wrote a quote down that uh, Miss Mardini said she, when, they asked, when she was asked by another interviewer, how did you feel when your boat started to sink? She said, I thought it would be a real shame if I drowned in the sea because I am a swimmer. <laughs> Isn't that a great quote? Should that not be said about us, that as we are tossed back and forth by life's events, it would be a shame that we let those circumstances, events take us down when we know Jesus. So I want us to continue on. I actually have several clips I want to show you throughout the morning. I had to cut a whole bunch because I, I don't know about you. We love the Olympics at our house. We've been watching it every night. We have our favorite events, as I'm sure you have your favorite events. And it's just something that we have truly enjoyed. And it has just amazed me what I love most about the Olympics are not actually the events themselves. It is the story of the Olympians. I love the stories by which these kids in some instances and adults in others 
have trained and have prepared and have given everything they have for this event, many of them having so many other things going on in their life as well. I lo- it's just so inspiring to see what they have overcome. Now, I want to do this in the framework of our series, our study in Philippians. And I want you to know that we're not going to show any video clips this morning of injuries. And I know some of you are already disappointed, but I can't watch those. If you've seen any of the major injuries at the Olympics, they are, they are horrible. And so we're not going to show those. You can uh, put your mind at ease. We're going to continue. David did a great job last week continuing Philippians. If you're a, our guest today, we've been going through the book of Philippians. And we've been asking six basic questions. Our hope for this series is not just to go through and get, pick out a few pieces of Paul's letter to the Philippians, but instead is to and, and also learn some basic steps and basic tools that we can go and study and get more out of Scripture for ourselves. Because if we are going to be a follower of Jesus, we must be in His Word and we must be studying for ourselves. You will never get the greatest pieces of wisdom, the greatest information. You will never hear the greatest nuggets from God Himself if you always get it from someone else. Those greatest moments always come in your own personal study. It's in the places and the times that Jesus speaks directly to you through his Holy Spirit. And many of us who will say, God, why are you not speaking to me? We have to go back and look at, well, how much effort are we putting in to even hearing from God? And one of the most basic, easiest ways is to get into his word and study it for what it says. So we've been looking at six basic questions. You can go through any passage of Scripture And you can use these six basic questions and you will pull more out of it than you would if you were just cursory reading through a few verses here and there. First basic question or our six basic questions are are on the screen. First one is who is writing this? There's an author for each of these. God inspired that author, but there is an author. We read in that first verse of chapter one, Paul says it's Paul and Timothy is with him who is writing this and he's writing it to the church at Philippi, a church that he started. We know that Paul is in prison in some form or fashion, possibly under house arrest. And we also know what we've already read through the preceding chapters is that his message of the gospel is going out all over the place, even though he's in prison. We know that there are other people who are also preaching the gospel, and some of them are doing it because they want people to know Christ. And yet there are some preaching the gospel because they want their their name to be famous. And Paul says there are some doing it out of the wrong motives, but I don't care as long as they are preaching Christ. I'm happy. And so we've looked through some of those pieces. I'm going to reference a little bit of what David talked about last week, and I hope you were here for that. That was David's first sermon. He did a good job, right? Yes, I heard lots of good comments. The podcast is on uh, online if you want to do that, if you want to go and, and follow up on that. Our remaining basic questions that we're going to look at now for the rest of the morning. Uh, what is Paul saying? That's where we really dig into what is he saying. Why is he saying it? That's why it really matters. Who cares what he's saying? Why is he saying it? And then what is the transferable principle? We have to understand that what he is saying and writing at that time, 2,000 years ago, was to a certain group of people in a certain cultural context. We do not live amongst those people at that time in that context. And just like, we joke about this, but just like we think our parents have no clue what life is like for us, And we're talking about 15, 20, 30 years difference. 
2,000 years of difference means we've got to dig a little bit and understand what is actually happening here. So once we do that, we will find a transferable principle, but it's not just enough to find that principle, but we must live out the word in which God has given us. And so how do we apply that principle to our lives today? We're going to be looking at that through the rest of this. We know who wrote it. We know who he wrote it to. We're going to pick up with Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, and we're going to go through the first verse of chapter 4. So what is Paul saying? What's the best way to find out what he's saying? Read it. So we're going to read it. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Now, there's the passage we want to go through today. And you could easily, in any given morning, open your Bibles to that, read through it, and then go about your day. But if you do that, you're often going to miss some of the bigger context of what is happening. And context is crucial because it tells us what's going on at that time period. What's going on while this is happening? Why is Paul addressing this? And the way we do that is we take some time and we go back through and we look at individual verses and we try to pick out what is being said. We've encouraged you that if you don't have a study Bible, that's a good first tool beyond your Bible if you want to get some additional content. And almost every study Bible is going to give you the history of the writing, the history of the author, the time period for which it was written, and what was basically going on in this place at this time. Now, the reason that I have so many Olympics clips is not just because the Olympics are going on right now, but because Paul used a lot of Olympic imagery in his letters. Paul was familiar with the Olympics. Paul was familiar with the events that they would go to. He knew what would happen in the city in which it would happen. And likely Paul was not talking about the Olympics that were happening in Rome. Paul was likely talking about another group of games that happened in addition to the Olympics at this time. They were called the Isthmian Games. They were played or run or they competed on the Isthmus of Corinth. Corinth may ring a bell to you. Paul was very aware of Corinth. He established a church there. And we have two very popular letters he wrote to the church in Corinth. So when the Olympics would have their games, the Isthmian Games would compete the year before and the year after the Olympic Games. They would do a lot of the same events that we do today, though I don't think they did golf. I don't know if all you are excited. Has anybody watched golf in the Olympics this year? The first time in a hundred and how many years? It's been a long time. 
I don't think they had Olympic diving, although it's possible. I don't know what all games. Most of them were races. And then they added some additional after those races gained popularity. He knew what it was like for an athlete to train, to compete, to win. Now, I know for some of us, we've grown up in a system that says you shouldn't try to win, right? You should just try to have a good time. Does anybody remember that bit of advice as you entered into the finals of your championship and you thought, I don't care if I win. I'm just here to have a good time, said no one ever, right? So sometimes we as Christians, we tend to make things so soft and pliable that we make them lose all meaning because we want everything to be fair and easy and nice and neat. Paul didn't suffer from that problem. Paul often said it exactly the way he wanted to say it, and he didn't really care how anyone thought about what he said. He wanted to make sure it was true, and he wanted to make sure people knew that it was true. And Paul talked about the life of a Christian as an athlete running a race with the goal to win. The goal to win. Now, the reason that we today don't like to talk about winning is because that excludes a whole lot of what? Losers. Some of us have come to that knowledge that that's the way our lives go sometimes. We don't like to talk about winning because we don't want to have to talk about losers. The reality is, if we're going to follow Christ, if we're going to live through this world, if you're a young Syrian girl who doesn't want to go down with a boat and drown, you must fight to win. Now, all of you in this room at some point in your life have gone through something difficult. And in that difficulty, you have asked yourself, should I continue or should I give up? Should I continue trying at my job or should I find a new one? Should I continue trying in this relationship or should I give it up and try for someone else? We've all had those times when we've looked at our lives and we've said, this is not the life I wanted. I am losing the race I thought I wanted to run. And Paul is very clear that we have a a race to run and we have to run it to win. So it's a little different than just running a race, but I want to go through each of these and I want us to understand what he's saying and try to take away some good meat for us to apply to our lives. So let's dig in, not from what Paul said. We just looked at the overall passage we want to cover. Now let's look at why is he saying it. If we go back to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, not that I have already obtained this. Now here's a good lesson. If you are a hunt and find scripture reader, a hunt and find scripture reader goes, oh, am I going to read today? Boom, let's read that today. Now you can easily read this verse and just move on because you're not really sure what he's saying and you really don't care. Let's just get on and get this passage of scripture done. One of the problems with some of our reading plans is we agree to do a reading plan, maybe on version or somewhere else, and we want to do it because we feel like this will be good for us. I don't know how many of you have started the one-year Bible reading plan, and you've got to read about three chapters a day in order to get through in a year. And the goal is to get through this in a year, to feel like I've read Scripture in a year, and then we'll hear about Christians and pastors and missionaries that every single year they read through the whole Bible every single year. And we decide we're going to do that. But often when we approach Scripture from the goal of getting quantity, we miss the quality of what is being said. I just got to get through this. I mean, I just got to get this chunk out of the way. I've got to go get my latte before I go to work, right? Not that I have already obtained this. 
If you start here, you have to ask yourself one basic question. What is this? What has he not already obtained? And this is what David talked about last week. And if we look at the previous few verses, we have to back up. There's a good rule of thumb if you find a phrase like that or if you find a word like therefore. Therefore never started a thought. Therefore always completed one. And yet many of our favorite verses begin with the word, therefore. If you see that word, it should be a clue. I need to back up and see what is being said before he got to this point. We start with verse 8, just a few verses before. This is what Paul says, and this is what David talked about last week. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. So as we read in those few verses, the very next verse is indeed, for I have not yet attained this. For Paul, the ultimate prize in any race or any competition is to know Christ and to become increasingly like him. For Paul, what he's wanting to obtain is to know Christ and to increasingly become like him. That reality and understanding that context is what will open up the next few verses to understand why is Paul using the imagery of pressing forward as in a race? Because he knew that the prize would not be won by everyone, only by those who chose to run to win. So we, as we pick back up, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 again. Let's read that in context. Not that I have already obtained this, to know Christ and become more like him, or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, as I've already said, Paul is very aware of the Olympic Games. He perhaps liked to watch them just as much as we do. Now, I don't know how many of you have watched the games this week, but we've, we've seen some incredible competition between gymnasts, swimmers. We've seen people do incredible things in fencing. We've seen people do incredible things in a pool, and some people in a green pool that apparently smells like farts is how it is being described. That would be a very disturbing thing to dive into, by the way. Would anyone dive into a murky green pool? I know Herman would. But I'm not sure about the rest of us, right? Yeah, okay. So we've got a few of you that would. 
I'm not sure I would dive into a murky green pool, but we've seen some pretty incredible things happen. We've seen people do things with their bodies that most of us would not even attempt in our dreams for fear of a fatal injury. And yet they continue to do these things time after time after time. Paul was aware of these types of games. Paul was aware of the competition that went into it. He saw people come from all over to compete. And whenever they would come together, just like today, they wouldn't do it for free. There was always an economy that came with it. The organizers wanted to build the region. They wanted to build the economy. And they wanted to make some money off of this event. But the athletes just wanted to compete. The athletes don't typically walk away with huge amounts of money, though they may get some endorsements today. They get to take home their gold and silver medal or whatever medal they have gotten. And I've just read an article last night. Did you know that they have to pay taxes on their medals? That's craziness to me. But you've got to pay taxes on it. And the, t- the medal is worth, what, like $700 for the medal? You've got to pay taxes on that. Like an Olympic athlete, though, Paul, in his faith and in following Christ, is singularly focused on obtaining the prize. There's a great article, and I tried to pull it up where I could show it as an interview with Simone Biles and Ali Raisman. Raisman, Raisman, I believe. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, I can't remember either. I have it written down, but I won't be able to find it. Great article where they said we had to miss football games. We had to miss school dances. We had to miss going out and doing all the things with our friends because at those times we were always in the gym. Talk about the sacrifices that they made to be there. Talk about all the things that they did to, to get to this place. They were singularly focused on getting the prize. And if you were going to be a follower of Jesus, we have to be singularly focused on our prize. And many times when we get discouraged or frustrated or we question, where is God? Why is not God active? The reality is not that God is not active. The reality is, is we have put our eyes on a different prize. We have to keep our eyes on the prize. Like an Olympic athlete, Paul is focused on obtaining the prize. One of the races that we enjoyed watching were all of the Michael Phelps incredible races. Did you see the race with Chad LeClaw, the 200-meter butterfly final? It's one It's Sparked all of the memes of the death stare of Michael Phelps to Chad LeClaw. And yet this is the final. And in this final, if you watched, and it was hard to find a clip, but I, so I found a picture. But in the final, what you saw is Chad LeClaw, who beat Michael Phelps in the last Olympics. Or excuse me, in the last games. As you saw Michael Phelps continue to race, he was singularly focused on hitting the wall. And what you saw over and over and over again was Chad LeClaw looking over to see where Michael Phelps was. Every other stroke, he looked over to see where Michael Phelps was. Where is he at now? Where am I in relation to him? And what ended up happening in this race is at the end of the day, even though Chad LeClaw was technically the fastest 200-meter butterfly swimmer in the world at this point, he did not even medal because he had his eyes on something other than the prize michael phelps had his eyes focused on what he was doing and what was encouraging for me as a aging person is to see him try to get out of the pool after a race anybody else notice that 
I felt very encouraged by that. I felt like Michael Phelps and I, we're on a similar plane here. I, you know, I, I get out a little slower than he does, but that's kind of how I feel when I get out every time of the pool or a chair or anything else, right? He gave everything he had. And he was singularly focused on that wall. And he won the race. He won the race. What Paul is trying to communicate is that we have to be focused on what is ahead. Now, a few things happen when you do this. Now, all of you will have something that you will be singularly focused on. Now, that may change every five minutes, but you will have something you are singularly focused on. For parents this morning, it was getting all the kids dressed in here, right? Trying to get all the kids here. That was a goal. Right now, that was a goal. Right now, you're enjoying this moment of peace, and you don't even know what the sermon is saying, but right now, you're just glad the kids are taken care of. After you leave here, you may be singularly focused on getting, you know, lunch somewhere. And if, again, if you have young kids, making sure you don't destroy the restaurant in the process, which you think you're the only family that ever has to deal with that, yet every family deals with that. Whenever you are singularly focused on an overarching prize for your life, one of the wonderful things that happen is that your priorities become absolutely crystal clear. And what I often see in people that do not have their eyes focused on a singular prize, is that their priorities are all over the place. And often when your priorities are all over the place, they will compete with each other. And you will never achieve anything because your priorities are not focused. Whenever you have a clear understanding of what the prize is for your life, then all of your priorities come in sync. Another wonderful thing that happens when you know what the prize is for you are your distractions, just like for Michael Phelps and not for Chad LeClaw, distractions disappear. Now, we live in a world that thrives with billion-dollar industries that are there for the goal of distracting you. We have marketing images. We have things we can invest our time in. We have all these things going on around us. Perfect distractions to keep us from staying focused on what we're trying to accomplish. At the end of the day, have you ever gotten there and you knew when you woke up that morning, I have to do this one thing and that you get to the end of the day and you never got to the one thing because everything else took priority. We all do that. We all have times that we do that in our lives. But if you're singularly focused, you make sure that that main thing gets done And distractions begin to fade away as you stay focused on where you're heading. And I'm telling you, as followers of Jesus, we get distracted by a lot of stuff. And when we get distracted, we lose our focus. And we lose our focus, we lose our race. Priorities become clear. Distractions disappear. I didn't mean for those to rhyme, but they do. I think that's pretty cool. And another wonderful thing that happens when you're singularly focused about moving forward, when he says, I am straining ahead, I am forgetting what lies behind, that is exactly what happens when you stay focused on the prize. Your past loses power over you. Now, some of us, our past controls us in many different ways. Some of us are controlled by our past because we have so many negative, terrible things in our past that we allow them to, ter- to continually remind us how terrible they were. 
Something bad happened. A relationship broke. A goal we had set, we fail. Maybe something is done to us. Maybe we're born into a family that's abusive. And we often let our past control us. Now, sometimes it's not the bad things that control us when our past controls our lives. Sometimes it's the good things, right? We live in past glory. I remember that time when I was six years old and I won that race in the swim meet. We were all doing the doggy paddle at the time, but I edged out my competition because their floaties were deflated and uh, they sank to the bottom. So I won. Praise the Lord. It was wonderful. I'm living, I'm reliving the glory even today. We know people like this that have wonderful high school experiences and even today in their 40s and 50s and beyond are still wearing their Letterman jackets, right? We know people like this. Or maybe you were really good in college, but your career didn't work out the way you wanted it to. So you go back to all your degrees and you go back to all the things you did in school See, it's natural that you're going to have wonderful things that happened in the past, and there's nothing wrong with remembering those with fondness. But when they control us, they keep us from achieving what God has for us. Whenever you're straining ahead and you're looking for what's ahead and you're looking for the next goal and winning that prize, what you will find is that your past loses control of you. Because you don't have time for that. What you have time for is what's in front of you and where you're headed. In the church, this is honestly how the church functions best. It's when everybody is coming together, straining forward towards the same goal. And many times the reason the church implodes or just falls apart is because people within the church are not headed towards the same prize. We have other goals. We have goals that I just want a group to hang out with. And you found a weird group right here at Journey Church. Well, uh, congratulations. <laughs> we're, a, we're an eclectic group here. Sometimes when we come to church, we just need a break for our kids. We need to get somewhere where they can go and I can go hang out with some adults. I understand that. I've been there. I'm, I've been there often. <laughs> Sometimes we come to church and we are coming to church because we think God will be happy for us and he will pave the rocky road we've been riding on for our entire lives. People like that don't stick around because they realize that's not how God works. If we're not all straining towards the goal of trying to know Christ and to become like Christ, then the church goes off in all kinds of directions. That's why people argue about stuff they ought not argue about. That's why people get offended over stuff they ought not get offended about. That's why when we come to church and we're thinking, you know, somebody needs to go take care of that. Well, guess what? You're a somebody. When we're not focused on what God is doing, not only in our lives, but calling us to the goal of knowing him and becoming like him, the church moves off in all kinds of different directions. Paul describes another scenario similarly in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? He's not very politically correct, and he would not make it in today's youth athletics. So run that you may attain it. 
Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We are in training. See, as Christians, it is crucial to understand this point. That in order to follow Christ, you have to go into strict training. And many people believe that just by praying and attending a service and opening their Bibles means God is just going to, he's going to lavish blessings upon me. But that is not the call that he has given us. Come to my church and live without worry. It says no Bible verse anywhere. But instead, he says, come, pick up your cross and follow me. We're all running a race. For what wreath are we trying to win? If we continue on with these verses, Paul goes on not only to continue the idea, but to also say, I want you all to agree with me, which I really love this about Paul. Paul does this regularly. He says, you know what? You need to agree with me. If you don't agree with me, I'm just going to give you some time because you eventually will. His confidence in his own uh, wisdom is unwavering. And I know some of you are the exact same way, right? My dad and I, we joke about that in our family. I may not be right, but I'm never in doubt, right? That's the way my dad and I are in our family. I may not be right, but I'm pretty sure I am. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. We're going to come back to this in a minute. Join in imitating me. This is an important concept for training. Join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, keep your eyes on the people that are doing this well and make sure you know who's not doing it well. We do need to have examples in which we follow as we strive forward. Their end is destruction. These, these who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is their shame with mindset on earthly things. In other words, the wrong prize. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. What he's saying in a nutshell is simply this. Great athletes need mature trainers and role models to succeed. You never want to pick as a role model the person who came last in the race. Now, they may be the nicest person on there, and they may be a role model for things other than winning that race. But you never pick the one that came in last to be your role model if your prize is to win the race. Many of us have chosen role models and trainers, and we're following their example, or they sit down with us and they tell us, you know what, don't worry, you know, don't worry about it, it's no big deal. Whenever we choose to depart from what God has taught us, it's no big deal. And they lead us into a place where we're going to lose. Great athletes need mature trainers and role models. And the truth is that when our training is insufficient, the prize will always be out of reach. When our training is insufficient, the prize will always be out of reach, just like in this particular occasion. 
Oh, that hurt. We need the slow-mo because it looks better in slow-mo. Yeah. Now, I want you to look at his face as he realizes he's not going to make it. Intense, intense. Oh, no. Good job, buddy. Good job. He did get a zero, and now his teammate is about to get on the board. He's focused. The prize is in mind. Okay. See the slow-mo again because it looks better in slow-mo. And it doesn't work. Thankfully, these guys have a really positive self-image because, as you see, they're pretty stoked about how they've done. All right. Now, this has been going around. Some of you have seen it this week and thought this was in the Olympics. It actually wasn't. This has happened at another Games. And if you want to dig a little deeper in that particular story, I debated, should I show this? It's kind of sad. Uh, This whole thing is kind of sad. But... The Olympic Commission for the Sea Games, they went to the head of the Philippine Aquatics Group and said, "What are you? is this a joke? Are you playing with us? And the aquatics director said, well, if we don't have more money for better coaching, then this is what you're going to get. Now, was it intentional? As some have said, maybe they did this on purpose. I don't know. I don't think they did. But the reality is, whether they were practicing on a board that was too high, or they just did not have the right trainer, if you choose the wrong training, you will not win the prize. It's important for us as followers of Jesus that we know who our role models are. We know who we're reaching out to. We know who are the people that are doing this, and we are following their example. And Paul is saying, imitate me and others like me. So what is the transferable principle as we look through this? I think there are two, and I want to leave you with a few things with these two. I think there are two transferable principles. Number one, you have to identify the most worthwhile prize. You have to identify what that prize is. Now, different people identify that prize in different ways. And honestly, it's been said by lots of preachers, and it's absolutely true. You can identify any person's prize in their life by identifying where they invest their time, their gifts, and their resources. And any single person, just look at where they're spending their money, where they're spending their time, and when they're, where they're using their talents, and that is what is most important to them. What is the most worthwhile prize in your life? For most of us, we start out believing at a young age that the prize is a comfortable, happy life. And so we work towards that comfortable, happy life. We either get a degree that we think will get us there. We develop a skill that we think will get us there. And then we work towards it. And what we've seen are children who bankrupt themselves because they're trying so hard to have that good, happy life because they've compared it to their parents who built that life over decades and they want it immediately. Some of us, we try to build that good, happy life by our careers. And so we have to have a career that we love, that makes a lot of money, that gives us lots of free time. There's not many of those out there, are there? And so we've made our career the prize. 
For some of us, and this feels like it's a better use of the prize, of, of determining a prize, we put it on our families. Our children become the prize. And while certainly our children are a prize, our children cannot be the one prize that we're straining for. Often we do that, we put so much pressure on them, and we'll put pressure on them to be perfect. We'll put pressure on them to be perfect in academics. We'll put pressure on them to be perfect in athletics. We put all this pressure on them to be perfect, and they cave under it. Our families are not our prize. They are a prize, but they are not the prize. Remember, Paul says the prize for the follower of Jesus is to know Christ and become like him. There are lots of things that we can make a focus of our lives. And my place is not to sit here and judge whatever that is for you, simply to ask you to consider what is the main prize you are striving for in this life. And what's at the other end if you get it? Money has been the main prize of, I would say, most people in our nation for a very long time. And what's incredible is the number one group of people who know that it will never be a true prize are the people that have the most of it. (laughs) Those who have the most money are the first ones to say money is not all that great. And yet those who don't make out the prize of their lives. What is the prize? You have to identify the most worthwhile prize. The second transferable, transferable principle, I believe, is simply this. You have to train hard. You have to train hard. If you choose not to train, you will not win the prize. Now, I could have several of you come up here and talk about training for a while because you know a lot more about training than I do. But I do have a few things that I want to share with you, and it is simply how do we apply this to our lives. For identifying the most worthwhile prize, what is it in your life that gets your blood moving? Is it football season that's about to start? Gets my blood moving, probably gets your blood moving, but is that the best prize? Is it your family? Is it your job? Is it the next job? Get your blood moving, gets it flowing. You have to identify not just what the prize should be, but what the prize is right now because it may not be the same thing. You have to identify what is the most worthwhile prize. More importantly... If you have identified that that is to know Christ and to become like him, you have to train hard. You have to train hard. Now, I was a lot better at training hard when I was younger. I would love to relive my glory days in high school and college. I was in a lot better shape. I did a lot more in the gym. I took care of a lot more stuff, and I felt a lot more confident on an athletic field. I I really enjoyed that time of my life, and I had a lot of time to put into that. I could go for hours in the gym. I could go and hang out with my friends, and we could just go play for hours. I could do that. Today, I don't have so much time for that, and even if I did, body's not as willing as it used to be. But you have to choose how you're going to train. Along the way, I have learned some important principles about training well or training hard. And then the first one is you have to find a great coach. You have to find a great coach. Now, I'll have to tell you, we have watched our kids because our kids have played a lot more sports than I ever did growing up. And we have noticed that depending on the coach that they have may determine the kind of season that they have. And we've seen some coaches take a group of kids and do amazing things. And at the end, we're like, 
How did you do that for these kids? How did these kids become what they become? And then we've seen that same group of kids come under a different coach and fall apart. You've got to choose a good coach. Now, by coach, I don't particularly mean you've got to choose the best pastor because obviously I'm not probably not that person. But when I say choose a good coach, I mean come along somebody that is going to walk with you and help you move towards the most worthwhile prize. Choose a good coach. We often choose people to model our lives after that are not going after what Paul says is most important. When we model our lives after them, off of, after them, then we go off in all kinds of crazy places. You have to find a great coach. Second thing is you have to train consistently. If I go to the gym once a month, I feel great once a month. I don't go anywhere. I don't increase in anything. I may actually hurt myself because I'm not going it often enough. We have to train consistently. Consistently does not mean on Sunday mornings alone. Training consistently means we train seven days a week. We have to train consistently. A third one is this. You have to give it all you have every single time. Now, this is so crucial that most people who try to take on some kind of training regimen never get this one basic point is that you have to give everything you have every single time. I've never been in the gym and gone, well, I think I'm just going to sit here in the massage chair and I'm going to drink my 24-ounce strawberry milkshake and feel good when I leave the gym. I don't do that. I mean, I would like to do that, but I don't do that. A person that does that is never going to walk out of the gym feeling like they've accomplished everything. This week I was... On the treadmill, which was kind of a funny sight, but I was on the treadmill. And there was a lady that was in the gym. I hadn't seen her before. Uh, She had an enormous latte walking around with her cell phone. And half the time she was talking on her cell phone, sipping her latte, and the other time she was texting on it. I never actually saw her do anything in the gym. And so she spent the entire time I was there doing that. I I left. She was still there sipping on her huge latte and playing on her phone. Now, the reality is if I plan to go to the gym and that is my training regimen and I'm not giving everything I have every single time, I'm never going to make any gain in anything. You don't ever reach the point where you go, "This this is easy now. You don't ever get to the point and say, you know, I have reached it. I have made it. This is it. There's always more. There's always you give it more. You give it everything you have. If you're not exhausted at the end, it has not been an effective training session. And I will tell you that many Christians want to live life sitting in the massage chair with their 24-ounce strawberry milkshake, and then they want to walk out like a buff Olympic athlete. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. See, in the church, what we often do is the massage chair is our Sunday morning sermons or services. We want to come in and we want to be blessed by the singing of the word in a style that we like. We want to get a nugget from the sermon that unlocks some secret key to life that makes life so much easier. We want to get up and leave and go get lunch with some friends. And we want to just enjoy that time of fellowship and spending time together. 
And then we want to go on with their lives, hoping that God is going to make our life just so easy and perfect and wonderful that we just pick daisies along the way and then we just smile in the sunshine and then we get frustrated when that doesn't happen. Because when we choose to train in the massage chair, we never get closer to the prize. Instead, often what it looks like for Christians, and if you want to know what it looks like, just read about the Christians in Scripture. What it looks like is hard work. They get thrown in prison. They're constantly threatened with death, and almost everyone but one is murdered. Jesus, when he prepares his disciples, says, I don't want you to take anything with you. I just want you to go, and I want you to trust that I'm going to provide for you. And training to to know Christ is often something that is just incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult. Now, here's the thing about your training regiment, and this took me a long time to figure out as a new Christian. There are some things I'm in charge of, and there are some things I have no control of. There are some parts of my training regiment that I am absolutely in control of. The time I spend with God, the time I spend with God's people, the time I spend in in personal study, the time I spend in prayer, the time I spend in spiritual disciplines that I read in Scripture. I'm in control of those. I choose whether I will do those. They're right in front of me. I make the decision to do that. And then, as I think I have everything covered, God says, I'm going to up your training regimen this week. And everything blows up. Does anybody ever have those weeks? Everything blows up. See, for a follower of Jesus, we often want to believe that the only time that things blow up is when we haven't had enough faith. Therefore, if I have enough faith, they won't blow up. But instead, God consistently says, hey, listen, your faith is doing awesome. I'm going to blow you up. It's exactly what James said. Count it all a blessing when you encounter trials of all kinds. Because it's making you into something. The training regimen isn't always set by us. I don't get to just go in and do it. I don't get to just mark it off my list and check off the boxes. But instead, God often messes it up. It would be great when we served if we showed up at church and everything went exactly the way it was supposed to, right? Sound system never goes crazy. I love Richard up here. I don't know if you know this about Richard. If you ever see Richard smile up here, something has gone wrong. (laughs) Today, as he was pounding on this kick drum, he's taking it with him now. The mallet came off. It broke off. No, it just came out. And he looked over and he had this little sly grin on his face. If you ever see him smile, something has gone wrong. I love the way he handles it. And I honestly wish I handled things that went wrong in my life with that kind of grace and courage, right? Okay. You know, I wish I could do that for everything. God often does that. When you show up, did you know there's a higher likelihood that a child will have a blowout diaper at church than they will at home? I don't think there's an official study on that, but I'm pretty sure that's true. And oftentimes, when we leave church, if we have completed a successful training section, we are exhausted and worn out, asking ourselves, is this what church is supposed to be about? Because service is about training. And training means we give everything we've got. 
And when you give everything you, you've had, when everything you've got, you're exhausted and you're hurting. But what you know is that you're growing. We've got to train hard. We've got to get everything we've got every single time. It's not about us just floating, backstroking through this. Instead, it's about knowing that there's a prize that we're reaching for. Fourth thing that I've learned about training hard is that you, when you fall, you will fall. We all fall. You've got to get back up. You don't stop. You screwed up. Well, get back up and keep moving. You're falling behind. Well, don't worry about who you're comparing yourself to. Stay focused on the prize ahead. Keep moving. Fifth thing, don't forget who is rooting for you. Don't forget it when life blows up, who is rooting for you. There's two really fun ones that I've seen this last week. I want you to know, first and foremost, God is rooting for you. And what I believe is that God is rooting for you like Katinka from Hungary's husband rooted for her in her Olympic race. Watch this. I fully believe this is what God is doing in your life as you were training. She obliterated her competition. And her husband is just going nuts. Now, if you had seen a previous race that she did not break the world record, he was cheering just as hard. Now, in addition to God cheering for you when you're training hard and you're giving everything you've got and you're hurting in the end and you're saying, God, does this mean anything? You've got other people that are coming alongside of you that are cheering for you as well. You have people here, people on staff. You have people in your small group. You have your friends that know they're going for the same prize you are. And they see that you're struggling and they see that you may not make it. And they're hoping and they're praying. This is the way we look at when we're cheering you on. She is so animated. Her poor husband is about to have a stroke. (laughs) Or he needs to go to the bathroom. Now look at this. Pure elation on her part. Pure exhaustion on his. He's done. He's done. I can tell you that many of us have invested in many of you. And we feel that very same way. As we see you're going for the prize. And you're struggling. You're hurting. We know you can do this. You can do this. Hang in there. And we're not sure. And we're just, ah. See, God knows. God knows. And he's just cheering for you. And he knows this is the prize. Know me. Be like me. He knows. Man, he's just going nuts for you. The rest of us, we're not so sure. (laughs) But man, we're pulling for you. Know that you've got people that are rooting for you heavily. The last thing, always, always, always keep your eyes on the prize. Always, always, always keep your eyes on the prize. The prize is to know Christ and to become like him. Your life in this place, on this earth, 
is not meant for you to get everything you can out of this earth. This is a perishing place. If you're watching the news, you know it's per- it seems to be perishing quickly. This is not our home. Paul says we are not citizens of this place. We are citizens of heaven. Our prize will not be found in this place. A perishable wreath is not worthy of our training, but an imperishable one that lasts for an eternity. To know Christ and to become like him. If I were to leave you with one thing, it would be this. Train hard to receive the best prize possible. Doesn't that seem so simple? Train hard to receive the best prize possible. In 2 Timothy, another letter, Paul says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let us get to the end of our race and be able to say that. We get to see him, be with him. We have finished the race. We have fought a good fight. Until that time, we have to make sure that we keep the most worthwhile prize centered in front of us. And we must train hard. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for the grace that you've given us in the times that we need it, and even in the times we don't even realize we need it. Father, I thank you for all the wonderful ways that you have worked in our lives, the people you have brought to help encourage us along our own race, our own fight, in order to reach that wonderful prize. Father, help us to see you rooting rooting for us from heaven. Help us to know that you are with us every step of the way. I pray that you would give us wisdom as we determine who those coaches are that can help us to train most effectively. I pray that you would bring people around us that not only can we invest in them, but we have those that will invest in us so that we can grow deeper and deeper in knowing you and becoming like you. Father, I thank you that we even have this opportunity, that you loved us so immensely and so greatly, that you came from heaven, you gave us your son who died on the cross so that we could be forgiven for our sins and we could walk with you forever. Father, I pray that you would help us to stay focused, that that is the prize. For those in this room that are so easily distracted because of some very terrible things that are going on in their lives, Father, I pray that you would help them to have patience and strength through those difficult times. I pray that these th- as these things seek to distract and to pull attention away from you, that you would help them to stay focused on what is in front of them, striving to reach ahead. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. And in this place, we can sing to you, we can give our gifts to you, we can love you, And in all of this, you have chosen to love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.